What's an educated mama? Hello, I'm Ryan Jordan, and welcome to the Educated Mama. During this podcast, we will learn from experts, entrepreneurs, creators, and leaders who are also mothers responsible for all the things. Let's celebrate women, learn a few mom hacks, and discuss the beautiful mess of motherhood. We're all learning together, right? Today's guest is Katie Lowe's. Katie is a force on both stage and screen. She's best known for starring as Quinn Perkins on the ABC hit series, Scandal. Most recently, Katie returned to network television in CBS's new half-hour comedy, How We Roll. You may have seen her in Shonda Rhimes' Netflix series, Inventing Anna, or on Broadway starring opposite of her husband, Adam and Waitress. Plus, she's a regular guest on Live with Kelly and Ryan. I got to see her weekly at my preschool toddler program and on the soccer fields our kiddos played together. I just adore Katie and I cannot wait to chat with her about acting, parenthood, and postpartum depression. Let's meet our guest. Hi, Katie. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. And I really miss seeing you at soccer. I mean, guys, having we used to do like Friday afternoon soccer classes, I think both of your kids were Mm -hmm. in soccer. Only my older one was. But we also went to the same preschool. We have so many mutual friends um, and we just travel in very similar circles and have done like little kid birthday party rounds together. (laughs) Yes. I mean, honestly, I'm so grateful for that community of parents from the preschool, because no matter where you go, we left the preschool, right? You still meet someone and you're like, you're from that preschool. You get it. You absolutely. It's like a very like, um, special sort of unwritten language that you have with other people who went to this preschool who are like, Oh, like we have some similar values. Mm -hmm. For sure. So I just want to talk to you about, you know, having a baby during a pandemic. I know you've been open about postpartum depression, but I kind of want to go back to your first child, LB. Okay. A lot of my friends in the industry, we know you're an actress. Yes get very fearful when they find out the news that they're pregnant. Sure, sure. Was this, I mean, I've had friends that are like, I wore baggy clothes to meetings. I had sweatshirts on. Yeah. Katie, you were in the middle of the prime of your career and it's only getting better each year as you go. Thank How you. did you feel about being an actress and also pregnancy? And tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, you know, I think... Um... I think we're sort of conditioned as women. I think not only being an actor, but I think um, in any line of work, there's this weird stigma that are people like, oh no, I'm I'm pregnant. Am I going to get fired? Are people going to hate me? Am I in trouble? Should I not tell people? Am I going to be looked over for that promotion? I mean, it sucks. It's just... I don't know why it's there, but I'm sure it's because women weren't always in the workforce and um, there's a lot of leftover just trauma and, and horrible things and stories you've heard maybe growing up. I think things hopefully are shifting and changing, but all of this is to say I had an incredible experience because I was working for Shonda Rhimes at the time, who actually, she's the writer creator of Scandal and Bridgerton and Grey's Anatomy. And she's a huge force to be reckoned with, but she, it was actually her idea for me to get pregnant. So I had full, um, 
I mean, it wasn't her idea, but we're friends in real life and we talk a lot. And she was like, what are you doing? Are you going to have a family? And I'm like, yeah, I really want to have a family. And she just was like, well, if I were you, I, I would get it done on my watch sort of thing, because I've taken so many actresses through it. Like there are so many actresses that had their babies multiple times over on Grey's Anatomy, multiple times over on private practice on her other shows. So she was sort of giving me the green light, like, don't worry, we'll figure it out, you know? And I quickly tried to also be the womanly people pleaser that I am, which was target my pregnancy and be able to give birth during what's called hiatus, which is when you're not shooting. And I was like, well, the least I could do is really, really try hard to like aim this perfectly so that I give birth in the middle of shooting season. So no one has to work around my pregnancy schedule. And I did it. I nailed it. I got pregnant. I was supposed to have give birth a few weeks after we wrapped. And then I miscarried three months later. And it was my first lesson in truly understanding that you cannot plan this and you cannot be staring at a calendar and figuring out when and how is the perfect time to make a family. Because as much as you can try, and I'm so type A and such a planner, um, there is a lot of magic and luck and surrender that's completely involved in this entire process and is just not up to you. And so when I miscarried, when I got pregnant, the first time I told Shonda I was pregnant, when I miscarried, I told her I miscarried and she was so sad and devastated and heartbroken for me, but it had nothing to do with the fact that it was not on a hiatus. You know what I mean? Like she just was felt bad and so then I just, once I sort of got past the um, miscarriage and it was at, at 11 and a half weeks. So I had to have a DNC, which is when you go to the hospital and it's a very quick procedure, but you're put under, and then it takes a few months in order for your body to really bounce back from that and get a regular period back again. And then you can sort of get the green light to start trying again. And when I knew that was going to be my journey to get pregnant, that's when I was like, I'm not going to plan this. And, and if I get pregnant smack in the middle of a season, I get pregnant smack in the middle of a season. I'm so lucky to have a boss that is up for whatever is in the universe's plan for when this baby is supposed to come to me. And so I got pregnant with Albie. I told her I was pregnant. It was smack in the middle of the season. I fucked up everything with shooting. They had to work around it. I had to be pregnant on national television. I had to gain 45 pounds on national television. I had to be working on my feet for 14 hours a day, you know, nine and a half months, you know, 38 weeks pregnant. And it was all magical and doable because my boss was the best. And I, I shout it from the rooftops because I hope that anyone listening knows that it's possible. And if you're someone who's an employer, please pay it forward. Like, please take care of your pregnant employees please give them the time they need to have leave. Please support their pregnancy. I mean, it's really, you know, you were a kid, someone birthed you, like get it together. You know what I mean? So um, all of these sort of Hollywood old school tropes of like, oh, you're going to get fired or you're going to be too fat for TV or you're not going to be taken care of or you're going to be, none of that was my story. My story was like, 
your boss is Shonda. We're going to build stairs outside of your trailer so that you don't trip when you're pregnant. We're going to assign a PA specifically to you so that when you're having a craving of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, there's literally one person who goes and gets it. I mean, it was, I had a zero gravity chair delivered to set so that I could sit on set with my feet up because like director's chairs are terrible. Your legs were at a 90 degree. And at the end of my pregnancy, my feet were like swollen boats. Um, and it was just magical and wonderful. And, and, and I had Albie October 2nd and they needed me for like a couple scenes here and there before, like I, I was given a proper, you know, three, four months off but I was needed for scenes like here and there just to like kind of help along the storyline. They really tried to avoid it, but at about week nine or 10 postpartum, I had to go back for a day or two. And I, again, Carrie Washington was directing the episode. She's a mother of two. She saw to my first day back on set and I had my baby in the trailer with a nanny. I went back to my trailer every two hours to breastfeed. Everyone waited for me to breastfeed. It was a non-negotiable. I gave the AD, which is the person who's in charge of keeping the daily schedule, my breastfeeding schedule. I mean, it was like, like she had promised. She said, we have this baby on my watch because we know how to do this well here. And because of that, you just, it's like, I would do anything to work in Shondaland for the rest of time. And I've talked to other women who have had similar sort of utopian work experiences through their pregnancies. And because of that, they work so hard there and they show up with their best selves because they're like, so grateful that someone's a great boss when you're pregnant. This makes my heart filled with so much joy because I hear the horror stories. I mean, I own a nanny agency. I hear the stories. Oh, I mean, geez. the parents that call them is like, you know, my nanny's pregnant. What do I do now? I'm like, nothing. You love them through it and they're going to love your kids through it. And if you're a great boss, you're going to give them maternity leave. And that's just how it goes. I mean, that's the reality. And I'm so happy that that was your experience because, you know, this is your career and it's hard enough to transition from career to motherhood mm -hmm. without support. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you had that support in place mm -hmm. and it wasn't just a talk you showed up and you were fully supported makes you feel so Oh yeah, loved. they walk the walk, talk the talk. Yes. It's unbelievable there. That's unbelievable amazing. there. That's mm -hmm. amazing. That makes me happy. And so after you had your first baby, did you suffer with postpartum depression with your first child? I know, you know, I got closer with you after you had your second baby. Mm -hmm. I would love to know a little about a little bit about your journey and experience into motherhood after having a baby. You know what? It wasn't an, a, a real click for me. Um, and it's funny because I, I wouldn't say, I mean, I definitely wasn't a little girl that was like super maternal. I wasn't like always planning to be pregnant or I would say I, I even went through a phase in my early twenties where I was like, nope, I'm not going to be a mom. Fuck that. Like I'm all career all day, all night. Um, but in my gut, I always knew I had this feeling that when I was like 65 or 70, there was going to be someone in the world who called me mom. I don't know if that was 
you know, biologically or through other ways, but I just knew I was going to be a mother to somebody. Um, and when I birthed my son, I had a really great pregnancy. Um, I didn't say I would like enjoyed pregnancy. I mean, I didn't, I, I was fascinated by it. I thought it was miraculous. I had a good pregnancy in terms of like, I wasn't sick every day or anything like that. I had a great labor, but I have to say the whole time I was anxious, like the whole time I was scared, something bad was going to happen. I tend to lean more towards anxiety and nerves. And I was always nervous a little bit, like always, or maybe it was because I had a miscarriage. I don't know, but I, but it was hard. I, I would say 70% of the time I enjoyed myself, but 30% of the time I was like, oh God, oh God, like, is the baby going to die? I also think I have a, I have a really big network of friends and moms and know some pretty dark stuff that has happened to people. And once you know those things, you can't unknow those things. Exactly. And so you're kind of like, oh, I have some closer friends in my life who've gone through some pretty late term miscarriages, stillbirths, some pretty bad shit. And so you're just like the whole time you're like, oh God, like, please let this other shoe not drop. So the other, so once I gave birth to Albie, I have to say I was not, it was not what I say, love at first sight. It was a slow burn for me. It definitely was like I brought him home and was very much like, who is this stranger that is completely fucking flip my life upside down. I don't know who I am. I don't know who he is. This is so hard. I am so tired. Um, breastfeeding. I breastfed him till he was a year, but the start was a real struggle and journey for me. Um, and I definitely struggled with postpartum blues with him. I did not have diagnosed postpartum depression with Albie. I had the blues. And I say that to mean that it's very common for women postpartum three weeks, four weeks to be really emotional, to be crying for no reason, um, to not feel themselves, to not feel connected to the baby. That is all very normal. When you start to move past the four week kind of window and you're looking at week six, seven postpartum and you're still emotionally out of control, crying nonstop, and it's moving into a non-functioning arena where it's difficult for you to show up. It's difficult for you to uh, return a a text. It's difficult for you to just show up to your life. That's when we're starting to get like, you know, real red flags that something is up. So with Albie, I definitely had postpartum blues, but I think because we weren't in a pandemic at that time, this is 2017, I had my community. I had um, lots of family, lots of friends stopping by. So even if I was feeling bluesy, I had to like show up and I had support and I had, even I would say as annoying as it was, I had to like fake it that I was okay, which sometimes I think at the time, like kind of helped me just sort of push me over the hump, you know, because at least everyone was doting on the newborn baby and everybody, you know, and I was proud of myself. Yeah. Let's talk about that just for a second. I think people forget about that. Everyone walks into a house and dotes on the new baby 
And it's like, this mother just went through the biggest emotional moment probably of her life. And, you know, it's like they come in and you're, you're like entertaining people at your own home. Right. I mean, it's such an interesting place. I mean, some people drop off food, but most people come over to see the baby and see you. And they're like, how are you? And you're like, I'm doing great because it doesn't feel almost appropriate to say anything else in that moment. Sure. You're sure, kind sure. of like in zombie mom sleep. Zombie. Land. I mean, such a zombie. It's really, and I don't really like, like, my best friend, um, both times we were pregnant within like three or four months of each other. And she has a polar now that we've been through two and two together. It's really fascinating to see that we have polar opposite experiences of the newborn phase. And I warn moms about this all the time. You just don't know what you're going to be. You just don't, you don't know how your body will react to labor. You don't know what kind of labor years will be. You don't know how your hormones will be when you get the baby home. You don't know how breastfeeding is going to go for you. You don't know if your baby is going to be colicky or easy or, you know, you just don't know a lot. There's a lot of unknowns here. Um, and both times my best friend loves the newborn phase she calls it the love bubble where she was literally falling. She was literally falling to the floor in my kitchen on her knees, overwhelmed, tears, crying because she feels so much love for her husband and her home and her babies and that they're all here and they're safe. And in life, she's one of the most anxious people I've ever known. So it just goes to show you, you really don't fucking know how you're going to be. Me, I feel like I'm really grounded. I've been super stable my whole life, especially in the mental health department. I've never been on medication. Um, I've dealt with like sad days or sad weeks, but I've never, and I've been in therapy for like 20 years, but I, again, I've never been diagnosed with any sort of um, depression or anxiety or anything. So my best friend has these sort of reactions to the newborn phase and me in the newborn phase when you stop over is like, you had said, I'm a zombie. Oh my God. I cry all the time. And I'm so angry. I'm so mean to my husband. I'm so like going one minute from hysterical crying to like hysterical laughter. And then Which I'm just I like peeing all over the floor. Like, I mean, I remember like peeing all over the floor and my mom was like mopping it up. Like it was like, it was it's so dark for me. Like I, like I sit here and I'm so fucking relieved that I'm never doing the newborn phase again. Like I hate it. I think it's a nightmare. As soon as it hits like the three, anywhere between the three months to six month window, if you can make it there and your baby is sleeping more, it's just the whole world opens up for me. I mean, that lack of sleep can cause so much anxiety depression, fear. I remember, you know, Katie having my first child and because I had miscarried, I think I went through almost a depression after that, mm -hmm. um, where it felt so heavy. Was I ever going to be able to have a baby? You know, I was 37. I remember that gut-wrenching feeling. I'm from Wisconsin. Everybody has babies at 23. Yeah. What's wrong with me? Right? Right, right. And then after I miscarried and I finally had miles, 
I was so elated to just have a baby that I was like, oh, this is how babies are. I mean, I was like high functioning anxiety, doing all the things and trying all the things. And then I had my second baby and I was like, oh, my first baby was colicky. You don't have to bounce on a ball for 45 minutes with a blow dryer to try to get them to sleep. They're not crying for three hours. Katie, I had no idea. Like I just, I'm only no quiet idea. because I'm shocked. I would have lost my mind. Like, yeah. I think both my babies knew that I was like mentally teetering with Albie and then completely off the deep end with Vera because both of my babies were, you know, they say you get what you can handle. And both of my babies were very easy. They slept through the night very young. And I think it's because had anything, I just don't think I would have been able to do it. Yeah. I really don't. I yeah. really, really don't. So with Albie, it was blues. It was never, I was watching it closely. You know, like I said, I'd been in therapy my whole life and not my whole life, but since I 20, around 25, I started therapy. And so I was on it with Albie, like still seeing my therapist once a week, making sure like we're good, right? Like you don't think I have any postpartum depression and I really feel good. I, I feel like my, my community, I mean, I feel like I'm crying and I have blues, but again, around the three, four week mark, I started to feel a lift a shift. And then around the six week mark is when I like fell in love with my son. Like I can vaguely sort of remember like being hit by lightning and being like, Oh shit. Like you're no longer like a stranger to me. I'm like really into you. And I care about you to a degree now where like now I understand that the thing I love most in my life is outside of my body and has like nothing to do with me anymore. Like I cannot control this. Motherhood is the most wild ride people. It is wild. So it wild. is so wild. And the emotions overcome you at the craziest times. When you look at this little person, you're like, I made this person. So weird. So, Ugh. so, so weird. And then what happened when you had your second baby, then if you had the blues, were you like, okay, I might have the blues again. I know what this feels like. Cause a lot of people space out having a baby when they have a kind of a traumatic thing, but it sounds like yours is kind of the norm, right? Most people, yeah, I stupidly, it's so funny. I, you know, talking to you about this now, I'm sort of realizing oh, I'm so stupid. Like I never, <laughs> It never occurred to me when I was pregnant with Vera. It's so sad because my pregnancy with Vera was really bad. Like I, I got pregnant with Vera a week. Well, I found out I was already pregnant, but I, I found out that I was pregnant a week after shutdown. Right. So shutdown was March 13th of 2020. And I took a pregnancy test on March 18th and we were living in New York and my nanny was living with us in New York because I was shooting Inventing Anna actually and Inventing Anna shut down because of shutdown and my nanny tested positive for COVID the same day that I tested positive for pregnancy and this was at the time that was like we were wiping down all of our shit and everyone was terrified and no one knew what any of it meant um and you know my whole pregnancy I dealt with a lot of mental health stuff. And looking back, I'm so mad at myself because I, I really should have been on something. I had perinatal depression. I had perinatal anxiety. 
I think COVID was a huge um, spark to that and look like depression and anxiety love a villain and COVID was mine. And I was isolated and I was alone with a toddler and he wasn't going to school because no kids were going to school. And I was very closed up because we didn't know yet how COVID affected pregnancy. Um, and I should have been on something. I was so, uh, I was having panic attacks all the time. Like I really, truly was, I was, and I was doing the stupidest shit. I was like in my shower with crystals, like praying, literally praying to like the universe to like, please keep us safe. I had mantras out the wazoo. I was listening to every fucking app and meditation for, calmness and peace and ease. And I just was running incredibly anxious. Rebecca Beninati was my doula and she would come over in the yard at a distance and just like talk me off a ledge. Um, I just had this overwhelming feeling, which now knowing is, is a sign of depression and anxiety that I was having obtrusive. Um, I was having intrusive thoughts and the intrusive thoughts that something bad was going to happen that I, well, wasn't I think having a baby and being pregnant during a, a pandemic, Katie, not to cut you off, but no, like, please. there's no, there was no manual to get pregnant as it is like, okay, what to expect when you're expecting, but now you're thrown into a pandemic where the entire world doesn't want to touch anybody or be close to anybody. And there's this nurturing that you need when you're pregnant. I mean, even when you tell me Rebecca Beninati standing, I know Rebecca well, standing across the grass, like helping you with affirmations makes you want to come through the screen and cry and hug you. It was you. bad. It was really That's bad. That's crazy. It was really bad. And some people didn't have that. Um, some people didn't have that experience. Like some people, well, I think if you waited a little bit and you got pregnant during the pandemic later, I think you knew better about what COVID was, what it meant, what it meant for being a pregnant person. We had more answers. And so your story was different, but the beginning was really scary. And then I think I just hormonally, again, like I was predisposed. It is a fact that if you've had postpartum blues or postpartum depression with your first chances are you will have it or worse with any subsequent pregnancies. So Again, I, I'm so stupid that I had postpartum blues with Albie, but I, it didn't even occur to me when I was pregnant with Vera that I should be on like high alert, that I should be on high watch, that I should be really careful. Um, and I, and really be speaking to my therapist constantly making sure I have a, you know, a postpartum depression psychologist who specializes in that on lock. Like, and I just was so consumed with the COVID of it all and keeping Albie safe and keeping the pregnancy safe that I just took the mental component sort of out of it. And I didn't think about my mental health. I, I literally was like thinking about survival. It was fucking weird and terrible. And I'm an extrovert. So COVID was super isolating for me. Um, I mean, I was the person with Albie you know, in my prenatal yoga class twice a week, like rolling on the floor and humming and making sounds. Like I went to art school, like I'm a hippie, like I love that shit. And I just felt really alone and scared. 
and was totally having panic attacks and did nothing about it. And the whole time I was thinking, just make it to the labor, just make it to labor. I had friends who were pregnant at the same time as me who gave birth one month, two months, three months before me. And they said, Katie, just make it to having the baby and your anxiety is going to drop down to zero. You will feel so much better once that baby is out of your body and safe and other people can help you take care of her. And it is not just all on you like to not get COVID. Like now Adam can be involved. Your mom is going to come in. We understand COVID better. Um, and when the shit hit the fan was when I had Vera and unlike my friends and their response to having the baby and their anxiety dropping to zero, mine got exponentially worse. And when was the moment that you were like, this doesn't feel normal. This is not mm. baby blues. Or did somebody have to point it out? Right. Because most times I think you don't even understand what's normal or not normal until you hit that breaking point. Yeah. I, again, I, it wasn't me. I, um, I think I was at my six week OB appointment. Um, and I did that questionnaire. That's ridiculous. It has like smiley faces on it. It's like, what is it called? Time? Like ACEs? Yeah. Oh, oh no. That questionnaire of like, honest, the scale questionnaire, but there's like, like the scale eight. of like, there's like smiles and it's like, how much have you cried today? And whatever. And I wrote like a lot and she was like, huh, you're at six weeks postpartum and you're still like crying a lot. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay. And you're talking to your therapist. And I'm like, yeah, we're starting to think about if it's time that I should get an evaluation from a psychologist who specializes in postpartum um, depression and postpartum anxiety. And my OB was like, yeah, you should call her. And I was like, you think? And she was like, yeah, um, you don't have to struggle like this. And I was like, oh, fuck, okay. Well, okay, fine. I call my therapist. She's like, let's set you up with Dr. Kira Stein. She um, works a lot in postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, and she'll just give you an evaluation. And it's like a two hour thing where you basically just like throw up on a zoom call with all your feelings to which even still, Ryan, I said to myself, cool, I'm going to have this evaluation. She's going to give me a prescription for Ativan. That's all I need here. I'm having panic attacks. I'm emotional, but I'm fine. And all I need is that when I feel a panic attack coming on, I'm going to take an Ativan. It's going to take the edge off. And that's why I need this consultation. I do the two hour consultation. And at the end, I'm like, okay, cool. So can I get the prescription for Ativan? And she's like, oh no, honey, you have severe postpartum depression. It's my advice that you start medication immediately. And I was like, record stop. Every stigma you can imagine going through my head. I'm a breastfeeding mother. I did not want to take medication. I don't take medication lightly. Um, I had never been on anything and it was wild to watch myself say, I don't need that. That's not for me. I'm fine. I can get through this. I can muscle through. I had just had Alanis Morissette on my podcast right before I gave birth and she had to go on medication with her third. And I could hear her saying, 
they told me I would not be able to muscle through this, that it would only get worse. It was not going to get better. I would not be able to get out of this. And that's what the doctor was saying. She was saying, this is not, um, this is serious. You're having intrusive thoughts that are scary. You are not thriving. You should not have to struggle like this. And it is very easy for you to start feeling better immediately. And I was still Ryan, like, no, she called in. We discussed the medication. I was like having an out of body experience. I couldn't even believe they were talking about me. Yeah. Cause you're like thinking to yourself, me, I don't need medication. Like that's for something, you know, that feeling that's for other people, not me. Yeah. Oh my God. I had date. My husband's been on an antidepressant forever. And even when he was like, Katie, I think I'm going to go on an antidepressant. I was like, well, you don't do enough yoga. I can't believe the horrible shit I have said, because now that I've been through it myself, you can't get to the yoga class. If you can't get to the yoga class, I couldn't return a text best friends of mine for 25 years did not recognize me. My husband did not recognize me. I did not recognize myself. And that was really, really scary. I have been so fortunate that for the majority of my life, I know who I am. And I know when I feel, I feel like me, I don't even know who this person was. And I was so, uh, I, I was unable I was so caught up in the stigma of having to go on medication that I couldn't even see that it would make me a better mom, make me a better wife and make me a better person in a global pandemic when I had a toddler and a newborn. So I waited about a, she called, we decide on Zoloft, which I had had multiple friends who had postpartum depression and anxiety and who had been prescribed Zoloft. And I FaceTimed them immediately. These are women I don't know that well. Um, I love them from afar, but now they're like soul sisters. They fucking picked up the phone, FaceTimed me through absolute sobbing in like, couldn't believe I was going to go on medication. What did it mean? What did it mean for breastfeeding? What was I going to feel like? How was I going to do this? Um, I called Zoloft them. Zoloft is one of the drugs you can be on and breastfeed. Absolutely. It's yeah. been tried and tested for 25 years. There's yep. your child is fine. Um, and I called all them. I called Rebecca Beninati. She put me in touch with moms that she knew who had been on Zoloft, who all called me. My friend Casey Wilson wasn't on Zoloft, but she has postpartum depression struggles a lot. She sent me flowers and gifts. Like, I can't even tell you like the, the community of women, which is why it's so important to talk about this stuff. Um, and when someone, I feel like I'm the postpartum depression, uh, guardian angel, because when I hear that someone is struggling, I like fucking move mountains. I'm like, because I was really fucked up. Like I could not, um, so when I, okay, so taking it back for a second. So she, we decide on Zoloft and even still she calls in the Zoloft prescription at Walgreens and I don't go get it. I'm like, just give me another week. Just give me another week. I can muscle through this. It's going to shift. It's going to change. I don't need medication. Like I'm only seven weeks postpartum. I got this, like I can do it. And in the meanwhile, I'm calling all these moms and sort of, I like to have information. I feel like information is power. And I, 
And I was collecting all my data of moms who had been on Zoloft, how they were, how the babies were, but I still was not going to pick it up because I was like, fine, I'm going to do the research and talk to moms who've done this, but I'm still convinced that this is not for me. And then I woke up on a Saturday morning, had my fourth or fifth panic attack that week, which for those listening, if you don't know what a panic attack feels like, it's different for everyone. But for me, it presents in like feeling of massive overwhelm. You can't leave your bedroom. You're scared for no reason. Your nanny's leaving at four and it's literally the most afraid you've ever been in your life. You um, can't handle it. You can't return a text you're crying, uh, your heart's beating hard. You feel like you might be having a panic attack or you might be having a heart attack, um, tingling limbs, a little bit of blurred vision. It's insane. Um, I woke up on a Saturday morning. I breastfed my daughter for the 50 millionth time sobbing at the ceiling for no fucking reason, like out of a fucking movie. Okay. She's breastfeeding and I'm looking at the ceiling and I'm just praying for anyone to help me. And my son is giving me a very hard time. My son is a very, very active, spirited toddler. And he's playing by the pool. And I started to wish that he just falls in and doesn't get out. And then I'm getting scared. Like, why am I having bad thoughts about my son? Um, And all of a sudden I start having these very, they're called intrusive, obsessive thoughts that bad things are going to happen to my son. And I kind of want them to. And I'm having bad thoughts about me where I just want to not exist anymore. I hope I get hit by a car. Oh, I'm holding this knife and I'm cutting up his tomatoes. I could just, I could just do this right now. Like, and then I'm starting to have these thoughts and then I'm starting to count how many times in a day I have thoughts like that. Now I'm only being super, uh, explaining this because I've never had this in my life, in my fucking life. If we're going to get honest, everyone's had a suicidal thought, not meaning like planning out their suicide, but like you're looking at Niagara Falls and you're like, I wonder what it would be like if I fucking jumped off. You know, you're healthy when a thought like that comes across your mind, but you're just able to let it go. And it, it, it bears no weight. It doesn't scare you. You don't go through with any planning. It just comes and goes. It's a fleeting thought. You know, you have a fleeting thought like, Jesus, I could get in a fucking car accident and I could die right now. Like, oh, yeah. it's a fleeting thought. Okay. Especially here in LA. Well, when you're dealing with real mental health issues, those thoughts aren't fleeting. They're often, you start to count them and they start to be, have real weight attached. And when that day hit, I called and showed up at fucking Walgreens and I started taking Zoloft because I was fucking terrified that something really bad was going to happen to myself or to my son. Um, And I started taking Zoloft. And then to be honest, getting on Zoloft was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Some people get on Zoloft and they feel relief immediately. For me, it took three or four weeks of there's all side effects with Zoloft. I had massive diarrhea, headaches. Um, I'm really sensitive to medication. So it was, and I was going on the, on a low dose. I went 50 milligrams, a low dose. And it was very hard to get on. And my goodness, once 
I was able to go on and feel the relief. It's unreal. It's like any, you, you can play tricks on yourself. You're like, oh, let's start thinking about that thing that used to give me anxiety. And you start thinking about it and you're like, it's just not there. You are unable to access what used to make you anxious. And it's not bad. It's not, it doesn't, it makes you what I kept hearing over and over again, you will feel like yourself again. And that's what I felt like. I felt like me. I felt like me with a longer amount of patience, which during COVID and during isolation and having a toddler and a newborn was super valuable. And I had a longer leash of just threshold to like deal with my life in these sort of extenuating circumstances. I became a better mother. I enjoyed parenting again. That's the other thing when people are like, you don't have to struggle like this. What they mean is you could actually be having a good fucking time while you're doing this. That's why I'm bummed. I didn't go on medication when I was pregnant. I should have loved it. That was the last time I was ever going to be pregnant. I wish I had called someone when I was struggling and having panic attacks saying, I don't think this is normal. I know there are things that I can go on during pregnancy that are super safe that will make me show up to my pregnancy in a way where I enjoy this. And I want to go to my prenatal zoom yoga class. And I want to, you know, just be in my body and, and enjoy that. This is a finite, special, miraculous thing. That's not going to come around in my life again. And I didn't do that. I wish I had. And I wish I had gone on Zoloft earlier. I really do. I mean, I know moms now that have three kids and they have their prescription for Zoloft literally at the hospital the day they deliver. Cause they're like, I'm not fucking with it. I've already had it. I've seen it. I've seen the ugliness and the fucking nightmare that is postpartum depression and anxiety that, that is makes you terrified to be you and also terrified to parent and also makes you not your, the best version of a parent that you want to be. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was just such a blessing. I'm currently in the process of titrating down, which is really hard. Um, and, um, and an interesting journey it's been Vera is 16 months and my psychiatrist called it when she said it, which overwhelmed me at the time. She was like, you're going to be on when she said, Oh no, honey you have, you have severe postpartum depression. You need to go on meds. She was like, it's going to be for two years. My jaw was on the ground. I was like, what? Fuck no. Uh, uh, I'm not going on medication for two fucking years. No fucking way. And I know how this goes. I'm going to get on it. I'm never gonna be able to get off it. Who knows if I'll ever be able to get off it. Now that I've seen the light, I don't fucking care one way or the other. Um, but I had, we did go down a little bit because I was having some stunting where I had been at 50 milligrams for a long time. And some of the side effects of Zoloft can be a lower sex drive. And also I'm like a big crier for good things, for bad things while watching American Idol. And that's the only thing I've seen that's really gone away is that I can't access my anxiety, which is a fucking blessing, but I also can't access like you drop your kid off to your first day of nursery school. And I don't cry like I would have. So we've been sort of playing around, which has been interesting. Like I went down to 33 and a half milligrams six weeks ago and stayed there for about a month and then a month, six weeks. And then now I'm down to 25 and we're just like really seeing how I feel. Is it bringing back some of the sex drive? Is it bringing back some of my 
emotional life body that I really enjoy about my personality. Um, so we're trying to find like a little bit of a sweet spot. I might continue going off. I might say, Hey, two kids are really hard and, and I need a little assistance and support and I'm planning to be on it for longer. I'm not sure, but I have a great network. My psychiatrist and my therapist, we work together closely to, um, figure out, you know, where my sweet spot is and your sweet spot changes. I mean, that's the other thing you go up, you go down, you go off, you try going off for a few years. You might need help again. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm just so grateful that through the whole process, I just really shout from the rooftops, like for people to get help and to experiment because it's, it's not just like an easy solution. Um, and it's different for each person and each person's body and each person's experience, but my God, Zoloft totally fucking saved my life. And I think it's so important to mention that, you know, I'll take it back to what you said. You don't have to struggle. You know, when I've talked to my friends that are medicated, I'm medicated for thyroid. I said, listen, I have a thyroid disorder. I have hypothyroidism. Right. If I looked, I looked the same way and said, I don't need medication. And they said to me, you will be on this medication for the rest of your life. And I say, listen, this could be situational. You might need just a little bit of boost to help you out to get through this time two right. years. Right, right. And whether it's your brain, your heart, your thyroid, That's right. That's this right. is all helping you function so you don't suffer and nobody should have to suffer through life. No, and especially when you're, you know, motherhood is so hard and you're getting a lot of things are being thrown at you and- Oh, through a trauma, a pandemic. Oh my God. It's so <laughs> traumatic. It's so, it's all been so traumatic, but it's also like, I just wish for people that they look every day of pregnancy doesn't have to be a fucking holiday. It's hard, you know, and it's hard on your body. It's hard on your brain. But if you were having four to five panic attacks a week, like I was for nine months, COVID or no COVID that's, that's not fun. And it's definitely not fun to be doing that and be in a marriage or parenting a toddler. You know, it's, it's just not fair to the rest of the family and it's not fair to you and your experience. Um, so I do regret that for sure. Um, and I'm really curious to see, you know, my psychiatrist is very much like, you know, you didn't, um, struggle with depression pre motherhood. And so, she's really thinks that there is a world where I might not have to be on medication, but we're also like, also now you're a mom and you don't, this is a new you and we're living in a new world with a lot of new stresses and, mm -hmm. um, and I don't know. So it's all been really interesting. I'm so grateful. I mean, the lesson here is fucking community, 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 my God. Like if you are going through anything, while being pregnant or being a mom, find someone that's been through it, who isn't who you jive with or whatever, you get a good vibe from their energy and fucking call them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I called two women, Mary O'Malley and I called Talia Moore. And both of these women, I did not know that well. And I would say they saw me in darker, more fucked up place in my mind 
than my best friends of 25 years. Yeah, because they had a common interest. I know both of those mamas. Um, Talia is a dear, dear friend of mine as well. And having somebody in your corner who has gone through your type of experience before is so important. But I also would love to know how people can show up for somebody who has postpartum depression. Oh, that's such a good question, Ryan. That that's so maybe nice. hasn't gone through it because yeah, that's a really good question. You know, well, like, I think yeah, it's really we good. We all I, love our friends and our yes. people. I mean, even though you turn to someone like even my friends that are suffering with infertility, they have their infertility mama. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, because like, they can't even they can't even it's it's so yes, triggering for them to be through yes. some be sharing their stuff with yes. someone who might have had so an easier time or have up? their babies. I know it's really crazy. You know, I'm also very conscious. I think when people have babies, first and foremost, reach out, you know, it's a text and the text should not be in any way, shape, form. Like, I don't like to give texts that are like super bubbly to like new mamas. Like I say like, hey, I'm thinking of you sending so much love here for you. I don't say like, isn't it the best or um, like how glorious are you right now? Or like, you know, some fucking bullshit that might've been your experience, which bless you if that was, but like, I always like to have check-ins with any new mom who's close to me. And it's a text, like checking in, sending love, thinking about you, sending food, regardless of how anyone is doing is always fucking helpful. Um, whether they're thriving or not thriving, sending food is so lovely. If you have a friend who you feel is like very much struggling, um, I like to reach out to their partner if they have one behind their back and say, I'm worried. I feel like they're not themselves. Do you feel like they're themselves? And then make some sort of plan, like who is the best to bring it up? Like you or me and, or is it from a friend or from a partner that says, Hey, I'm, I'm feeling worried. I'm feeling like you're very, you're, you're still very emotional. And, and I just feel like maybe we should talk to a professional. Um, just to be extra, extra sure that you are having the best experience you can. Um, and then what Adam did, which was great, was when I was really struggling, he reached out to my, all my best friends and said, Katie's really, really not doing well. Can you do everything you know to do to care for her in this time? Sending loving texts, sending food, um, you know, asking, do you want to do a FaceTime? I felt so alone. So FaceTime was like a really good thing. Um, and I, there was really only two people that I could show myself around because I was so fucked up that would go on walks with me um, all the time. And I would just literally sob, like out of control sobbing, never been like this in my life. I mean, I, and I've never shown anyone's side. I, I didn't even know I had this side to be completely honest. And everyone said I would come around exactly where I am, which is Casey Wilson and Talia and Mary and friends who held my hand through it, who had had it. They're saying, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, who was that? 
because I don't recognize that person. It's really wild. And that's how you know it is so situational and it is so hormonal. And thank God we have the science and the technology that we have now, because I swear to God, Ryan, I would have been one of those 1950s housewives addicted to quaaludes who would have driven a car into a river with her two children in the back. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like I, I so, and it was so out of left field. Yeah. I've never you just struggled. No. And that's the thing is, you know, I think that a lot of people talk about a birth plan or this or that, but the reality is people need to talk about what happens after you have a baby. There needs to be more resources. Everything shouldn't be sugar-coated. You shouldn't have to get into the club before we talk about this stuff because you do feel very isolated and alone. And then when you go through it, you find your people who are like, oh, this is this is pretty normal. I mean, if I teach a mommy and me class and there's 10 women in the class, I would say most definitely at least six of them struggle with some type of postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety. I even had one mama where I literally called her partner and was like, I'm seeing some signs of psychosis. So I've had a friend who went through that too. Yes. And it's terrifying and it's not the person and there's no judgment. And I think the biggest takeaway from today is one, thank you so much for being so fucking authentic and vulnerable, Katie, because this is what we need to hear as moms. So I, I am so grateful. I'm over here. Like, I feel so far away yet. So close to you. Oh, wait, there was one thing I wanted to say too. another advice that I would say, like you, it just brought up my head when you were saying people have birth plans and stuff for any pregnant moms listening. I think it would be so smart if you had a slight conversation with your partner or your friend that's while you're pregnant and you say, Hey, can you do me a big favor? If I start getting into week three or four of postpartum and you're not recognizing me as a person, will you let me know and help me get help? Just collect a few numbers for me of psych of postpartum depression and anxiety, psychiatrists and therapists that specialized in that have one or two phone numbers that are advice from friends. Give that number to your partner or your best friend or your mom or whoever is on a trigger for you and say, Hey, this is my postpartum plan Mm -hmm. at week three, four, five. If, if I am having trouble functioning, super, super emotional, really angry, rageful and not enjoying, and you're not recognizing the person, you know, me to be in my spirit. Will you just let me know that the flag has been raised and you want me to call one of these numbers? I love that. And I'll piggyback on that and say, listen, the day that you go to see the psychiatrist and they tell you need medication, you do the drive-by car to Walgreens. Okay. There's no waiting the extra week to see if it calms down. I will be at your doorstep. uh, Oh my God. You will not muscle through. I tried. I tried. I tried for seven weeks. You will not muscle through my friend, Mary. She muscled through for like seven months. Don't do it. Because the other thing that everyone says who has diagnosed postpartum depression is they all say the same thing. I wish I'd gotten on meds sooner Mm -hmm. because you get on them and all of a sudden you're back to you. You're back to being the parent you always dreamed you could be the partner you always dreamed of being. And you're having the experience that you know you wanted. And so you're just like, fuck, I robbed myself of all those weeks 
because I had a stigma attached to medication or because I felt like I wasn't brave enough to go seek help because I thought people would judge me. Whatever your stuff is, get out of your own way and get the experience you want to have. I love that. I love this. This is one of my favorite talks because it needed to be talked about. And I'm really glad that I could bring this to our viewers and audience. And Katie, thank you for shedding so much light on this in such a beautiful way of being inclusive and loving and just putting it all out there. I'm grateful. And is there anything else you want to share about anything else coming up in your No, life? I'm just so grateful right. to you giving us the space, giving the topic the the attention it deserves. And um, I'm just happy to be on Educated Mamas and I can't wait to have you on Katie's crib. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and you had some great aha moments. I am so passionate about empowering women and I can't thank you enough for your support. If you know an inspiring mama or you are an inspiring mama, send them our way. Be sure to tune in every Wednesday and please like, follow, and subscribe to The Educated Mama. Write a review, leave us a comment, share this podcast with your friends. I'm Ryan Jordan, founder and CEO of Educated Nannies. You got this, mama.